morning and welcome to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries, heard every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time on American Family Radio. I have in the studio today my good friend, Dr. Chris Schroeder, and we want to talk today about great comebacks. So, Chris, I was thinking, when I think of the word comebacks, I think of the football game it was January 3rd, 1993. Oh, yeah. Okay. The Houston Oilers and the Buffalo Bills. Okay. Now, that may have been before your time. No, but you were you were probably cheering for the Oilers, right? Yeah, I was a huge Oilers fan. Uh-huh. And uh, I just, I was love you blue all the way and <laughs> bled crimson blue or whatever color that is, baby blue. Warren Moon. And uh, yeah. yeah, watched them go up. They're playing in Buffalo. It's mm-hmm. cold. They go up 28-3 at half. They start out the second half, they intercept a pass and run it back for a touchdown, like 50, 60 yards for a touchdown. They're up 35 to three. It's over, it's done. Game is over. The Buffalo fans are headed for the exits. Mm -hmm. This one's over. Yeah. And I called my buddy, Mike Lurch, and said, Lurch, not even the Oilers can lose this game. (laughs) Oh, no. And I should never have said it because, as people know that follow NFL football, the Oilers lost in the greatest uh, collapse in NFL history. If you're an Oilers fan, it was the greatest collapse. If you're a Bills fan, it was the greatest comeback in NFL history. And they had their backup quarterback. The Bills had their backup quarterback playing. Frank Wright, mm-hmm. and uh, dynamic Christian, and he mm-hmm. said that the song In Christ Alone kept going through his mind wow. the whole time he I played. Yeah, he's shared his testimony all over the, the nation mm-hmm. uh, that God just gave him such peace, and even in the midst of being down 35-3, he had a peace that they were going to win that game. Wow. And they did in overtime, 41-38. So great comebacks. When we look at that in the spiritual realm, um, sometimes we feel like there's no way. I have blown it too greatly. I've sinned too too tremendously to ever come back. God doesn't want me back. I've burned my bridge. There's no coming back. Yeah, I mean – there's a lot of people you feel like you've done the ultimate sin that you could never be forgiven or maybe um, a number of sins that you feel like could never be forgiven and you've just pretty much given up because you feel like you've sinned too much for God to ever forgive. Too greatly. So Jesus tells a story. uh, We know it as the parable of the prodigal son. And here's how the story goes. It's a very short story. Mark Twain said it's the greatest short story ever written. And Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine a jew feeding the pigs it can't get any lower than that but then it does and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him such a a picture of total devastation, a picture of such shame, uh, basically saying to his father, Father, I I can't wait around forever for you to die, so I I wish you were dead, but since you're not dead, give me the share of the inheritance that falls to me. And the father does it. And then the son immediately bolts, takes his money, wastes it on wine, women, and song, and all the money goes away. And then all the friends go away, the quote-unquote friends, because they weren't real friends anyway. And then he has nothing, and he's starving to death, and he's feeding the pigs, and he's longing to eat the pig slop. Um, Chris, how many people have you counseled in your days as a counselor as a pastor that had that kind of experience they have left the lord and they end up at the pigsty yeah and you're hoping that they've hit what we call rock bottom you know someone in recovery someone in addiction has to hit a place of rock bottom where you can't go any lower that's the lowest spot you can go and so there's only one way is up and so i'd hope that at that point that would be his lowest point you know, being with the pigs, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I think as Jesus told the story, the people had to cringe thinking, 
Well, that's just awful. That's just horrible. First of all, it's a very honor-shame society, and to say that to one's father would be just shockingly uh, dishonoring and so shameful. And for in their minds, you can't come back from that. Right. I mean, you, you have so dishonored your father. You have so dishonored your family. You have so trashed your name as, a, as the younger son. Um, Wasted everything. Yeah. And then, yeah, then uh, it, it appears that the father was wealthy, so he takes that share of the inheritance. And as we know, um, you know, when you die and your kids get the share of the inheritance, that's different than when you're alive. Right. Um, so to liquidate things, to to pay off the son, well, that, that costs the father to do that. And, and then to let him go, um, to be willing to let him go, and to then to see him do what he did. And uh, no doubt there was a lot of immorality there. It's kind of woven into that, uh, the fabric of the story, uh, wasted his money with, with loose living. Um, what is loose living that's going to be partying and sexual immorality and all that stuff. He, he did terrible things. And uh, then he runs out of money, and then a severe famine occurred. He hadn't planned on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but God orchestrates things just like he did with Jonah. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, you're running from me? Well, okay, I can hurl a great uh, storm on the sea to get your attention. Uh, Chris, when you counsel people, um, do they oftentimes have a, have a story of, I was doing all this, I thought everything was just fun and games, and then reality slapped me in the face? Yeah, and reality is uh, what's needed. You need reality to get back to where you need to, to get to. So um, God will bring that reality to the person because he wants to draw them back to himself. Right. So God using whatever it takes to draw the person back to himself. You know, Chris, uh, when we deal with people, a lot of Celebrate Recovery people are dealing with alcohol and drugs. Not everybody, but a lot are. And uh, it seems like people uh, in those addictions, they just deceive themselves thinking, I can handle this, it's not so bad. And you know, oftentimes you hear about somebody having an intervention where they sit down with them and say, this has to stop. Yeah, because the number one issue is denial. The number one step in any kind of recovery, in any kind of uh, comeback, is denial. You know, um, g- coming to reality, the opposite of denial would be reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like your football analogy, you know, they have to realize that's what the scoreboard says, and the scoreboard doesn't lie. Right. And so we've got work to do. We are, we are far behind. Yeah, the idea this isn't so bad, mm-hmm. it is bad. Right. It's really bad. You can't sugarcoat it. This is reality. And right. so now that we know reality, now we can take steps to get back to a better place. Yeah. I remember reading the business book uh, good to, from Good to Great, or Good to Great, yeah. uh, Jim Collins. And one of the first things he says, if you're going to uh, have an organization that goes from good to great, you have to face the brutal facts. Mm-hmm. You have to look in the mirror. You, you got to take the lipstick off the pig. You got to really look soberly at your organization, at your life, um, and p- properly, honestly assess where am I? Yeah, the more counseling I do, the more I come into the reality realm. You know, you can't sugarcoat it, you can't make it look good, and when it's not, you've gotta deal with what is. Well, I'm talking to Chris Schroeder. He is the teaching pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and he has uh, just finished his doctorate in uh, Biblical counseling is that right, Chris? Uh, the exact master or doctor of divinity, biblical counseling, and has done a lot of counseling in marriage and addiction recovery. And so, uh, Chris, you've had a lot of experiences with people at the at the pigsty. Mm-hmm. And so, it, what's the common what's the common denominator? Whether it is uh, you're at the pigsty in your marriage, or you're at the pigsty in drug and alcohol abuse, or uh, those things tend to to be similar in in what they do to a person. Yeah, we all have uh, character defects in our life. Character defects come from um, our upbringing, our family of origin. They come from the environment that we're in. Um, that we've been in in the past or the environment that we're currently in. And then most of all, our character defects come from our choices, the choices that we make. And we make 
we make a lot of bad choices because we have a sin nature. And so we make sin choices that um, take us in the wrong direction. And so coming out of the denial, coming into a place of reality, and then once we've come to a place of reality, realizing that we are powerless, to, the second step is we are powerless to do any kind of necessary change in our own strength, that we need a power higher than ourselves to get to a better place. And we can't do it in our own strength and our own willpower. We truly need the Lord. Well, in the story of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, in verse 17, it says when he's at this this lowest point, he's hit rock bottom, he's longing to fill his stomach with the, the slop that the swines were eating. No one was giving anything to him. And that's another good point, isn't it, Chris? You can't keep enabling people at the pigsty. Yeah, we call that the term that we use as a codependent. You know, someone who is, yeah, enabling is a good word, enabling someone to stay in their bad spot, in their place of weakness. Right. And people think that that's being loving and kind and helpful and Christ-like. And oftentimes it's like, no, you're not helping that person at all. Right. It, it could be made, maybe tender love, but it's not tough love. You know, right. it's not getting the necessary uh, medication that's needed. Right, and when they're at the pigsty, they need tough love. That's right. They, they need their eyes open to the truth. They need truth. So it says in verse 17, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as your hired as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. Now, Chris, I've always stated that a couple of things that are so critical there. He ha you have to come to your senses. You have to see the scoreboard. You have to be shocked into reality, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hard to get people to, to really see how bad it is. How, how do you go about that in the counseling room when maybe it's a marriage issue and the, the husband doesn't want to see that it's that bad and it is that bad? How do you get him to come to his senses? Right. I mean, sometimes we just get so stuck in ourself and there's so much uh, pity and shame that we can't even see the reality. So we're trying to help people to see um, the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Paul talks about it in Second Corinthians chapter 7. And... Uh, you know, godly sorrow is there's conviction for doing wrong, for sinning, there's pain, mm -hmm. but then there's repentance and there's a turnaround and there's change and then there's healing. Mm -hmm. And it's the mindset of I don't care about the consequences, I just want God. I just want to be right with God. Right. Where worldly sorrow is there's condemnation, not conviction, but it's condemnation. You know, Romans 8 1 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So right. condemnation says you are that sin. You are that thing that you are doing. And there's pain and there's guilt and there's shame and there's blame, pity, mm -hmm. um, and regret, remorse, and all those emotions leave you stuck. So I will even write those uh write those emotions down and ask people, which which are you experiencing? Are you experiencing godly sorrow or are you experiencing worldly sorrow? Are you just trying to avoid the consequences or is your desire most of all to get right with God, to be right with God? Well, and so repentance is a gift from God. Yeah. Um, and, and to have, we can't manufacture godly sorrow. Uh, that has to come from the Holy Spirit of God, but we can we can push that away when it's coming uh, if we're not careful. So we're talking today about the greatest comeback, not the Buffalo Bills coming back on the Houston Oilers, but uh, a person in deep, dark, terrible sin uh, at the pigsty of life coming back from that and experiencing the grace of God and the forgiveness that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking to Dr. Chris Schroeder, who is my dear friend and our teaching pastor at First Baptist Texarkana and also our counselor here. And uh, the Lord is using him in great ways. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
80% of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. There are currently preborn centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love can save a life. Friendships is looking for full-time volunteer men and women who are serious about serving God, investing time in rewarding work, and helping people in need around the world. There is no charge to serve. Room and board are provided. A willing heart and a desire to work as part of a team are the primary skills required. Check out the opportunities at friendships.org or email portmercy at friendships.org. That's portmercy at friendships.org. Everything Satan does is counterfeit. And just as the ministry of God, so you will watch and see Satan trying to do what God does so that he can get the worship that he desires. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his series, Signs, next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. You ever make a change and then think, why didn't I do this years ago? Well, that's how people feel about switching to MediShare for their health care, especially now with inflation the way it is. People are very happy with the savings. Most families save about $500 a month when they switch. It's a huge help when prices are going up so fast in so many other areas. And MediShare's customer satisfaction rate is double that of health insurance. It's just a different experience, and people really like that. MediShare is an alternative to health insurance. It's a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills, and it's been going strong for over 25 years. It really is the gold standard, the most trusted name in health care sharing. Find out why people love it. Find out why they rave about the customer service, and find out how good it feels to save some money right now. They're super easy to talk to. Here's the number. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. I talking to my friend, Dr. Chris Schroeder, who is the teaching pastor and counselor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and just graduated from Liberty University with his doctorate. And that's a great, tremendous accomplishment. Just walked across the stage last Thursday. That's so right. The doctorate is fresh, it's and official. all this knowledge is just <laughs> yeah, fresh right. in his mind. Right. Uh, but God has used Chris in great ways. He is uh, he heads up our Celebrate Recovery ministry, and he's been doing that for years. And he's seen God change people and, and take people from the pigsty of life and totally turn their lives around. You know, Chris, uh, the name comes to mind, Matt, Mm -hmm. our good friend Matt. Uh, Matt was at the pigsty. That's right. Alcohol led him to the pigsty. His marriage seemed over. His wife and kids were done. We can't can't deal with this crazy outbursts, uh, you know, all this anger and all the, the personality swings and all the things that they were experiencing. How did a guy like Matt... From the pigsty, how did his life turn around? Well, I mean, you brought it up in the last segment about codependency and someone enabling someone else. Uh, His wife really, I think, got the ball rolling when his wife made a decision, a very difficult decision, to take the kids and to separate from him. 
so to leave her marriage, not to file for divorce, but to separate. In her, in their situation, in her situation, she had a place to go. She had a place to take the kids. And so her taking the kids out of the house and choosing separation in her marriage with the goal of leading back to a healthy or leading to a healthy marriage mm-hmm. was, I believe, what got the ball rolling. There was a consequence and uh, it talks about that. You, you mentioned good to great in the last segment. In the book, Good to Great, he talks about how consequences are what motivate. And so there was a consequence in Matt's life that, that his wife brought out, and therefore that motivated him to make necessary change in his life. That's a good point. So if, if the abuser of the drugs, alcohol, whatever, uh, the person at the pigsty, if they don't feel the consequences... They're not apt to change, are they? Right. The consequences, you cannot change somebody, but you can motivate somebody. And the way you motivate them is through consequences. And that's tough because that requires a tough kind of love and a tough choice. Right. But she uh, made that choice. And then Matt got to a place where um, he wasn't concerned about the consequences anymore. He was most concerned with getting right with God. Right. And uh, he had he was he had salvation. I believe he had salvation, but he was uh, drifting from God. Right. And so he made that decision to lean into God and do whatever it takes uh, to get right with God. The consequences were not what was not his uh, what he was going for. Yeah. No. And that that makes all the difference in the world. If you just come to the Lord because you want your problems fixed and not your biggest problem fixed, which is you're a sinner and you need a savior and you need to be right with God. That's the issue. And so if I just I don't come to Jesus for a good marriage or for a better job or whatever, uh, does he care about those things? Yes. But when your real problem is is your sin that's what you have to do business with God about. And that's what the prodigal did. I'll get up and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. I love that prayer because mm-hmm. that just expresses uh, the the depth of his heart and how sorry he was for what he did. Uh, he didn't think that he could be restored to sonship anymore. Um so he got up and came to his father. Repentance always has legs on it, doesn't Chris? Doesn't right, Chris? you're moving. You're moving in the better direction. So you're going in one direction, you stop, and you turn and you go the other direction. You make a 180. Right. Sometimes people say 360. It's not a 360. No. <laughs> That'd be a just complete turnaround. But you stop and you go in a different direction. You go in a different direction and uh, you, you come to the Lord broken and humble. I don't expect anything from God. I'm asking him for mercy and for grace. Um, You know, I notice that a lot, Chris, with people that maybe they come down front at, at the end of a service. They're broken. They're convicted over their sin. But as John the Baptist said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Mm-hmm. If there is no action past that, if there are just tears, and uh, Judas had that. He had tears and he had regret. He didn't have repentance. And so how would you differentiate between the two? Because you've probably seen a lot of people that they don't like the consequences. They're sorry that they're in the mess that they're in. But there's not real repentance. Yeah, it's like pity, self-pity, and it's, it's not attractive. Uh, shame, blaming other people, blaming the situation, you're going to remain stuck. And so if you're discipling someone in that situation or you're counseling someone in that situation, you want to give them something to do. You want to give them a challenge, something that they have to read, something that they have to write, something that they have to actually physically do to make sure that they're serious that they really do want change in their life and that they will follow through on whatever they're being asked to do. Okay, so when you counsel people and you sense that you're not serious about this, you're not doing the things necessary, uh, what is your strategy at that point? Well, I mean, can't say that I always do it (laughs) perfectly, but I mean, uh, we're wasting time. If they're not serious about change, then we're wasting time because they've got to get to a place. You know, Jesus always said, uh, do you want to get well? You know, he told the man um, at the pool, pool, do you want to get well? Pick up your mat then and walk, you know, but he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, I have found that, uh, especially with guys with marriage problems, they they want things fixed immediately. You know, they've had years of 
neglecting their wives and not cherishing their wives. And, and then the wife finally just snaps and she's like, I can't do this anymore. And then they go into full court press mode. What do I need to do? They'll come see, you know, before they wouldn't see you or wouldn't see any counselor. But now when they think, hey, I'm about ready to lose my marriage, I'll go do anything. But they still may not get it. Um, how do you help a, a guy get it? Yeah, it's so true because uh, they say like 90% of marriage counseling, the uh, appointment is set by the wife uh-huh. and 70% of divorces, I don't know if these statistics are how right. accurate, but 70% right. of the divorces are filed by the wife. And so the guy is usually second to know that there is a problem. And so um, generally it's the wife doing that. But yeah, then the man just goes into fix it mode and fix it right away is not going to happen. It's going to be a process. It's going to be a process of of work. And so, again, hopefully they're at that point. Hopefully they're at that place of spiritual maturity to realize that this is going to take more than a quick fix. So our friend Matt, going back to his situation, he's at the pigsty. He realizes he's at the pigsty. He realized I have a drinking problem. But a drinking problem just doesn't magically go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every, you, we hear testimonies of people that, you know, I, I prayed and then I didn't have the problem anymore. That's typically not what happens. Yeah, it could happen that way, but God, uh, in his desire to sanctify us, it's more going to be a process. And with alcohol or any kind of difficult addiction, it's, I know it sounds cliche, but it's one day at a time. Yeah. And one day becomes two days and then three days and it just grows. But you really just take each day at a time and try and um, string a whole bunch of days together. Right. But there now, in keeping with the story, if anybody's going to have a great comeback and I'm far away from God, whether it, that's a believer getting right with his father or whether it's an unbeliever coming to know Christ as Savior and Lord and having God become his father, there has to be a point where you leave the pigsty of sin, you turn around from the direction you've been going, there's true repentance, and you come to God. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that's what the prodigal son did. And uh, when he came to the father, I think he was shocked. It was a shocking revelation in the story. You know, parables all had a shocking kind of, wow, uh, that got people's attention. We read them today, and we don't read them the same that, that uh, you know, it doesn't fall on our ears like it fell on their ears because we're not as in tune with their world. But uh, for the father to run after his son and put a, you know, when the son said, Father, I, uh, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He didn't get to finish the rest of his planned speech because the father shushed him. And the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. Now, Jesus told this parable mainly for the benefit of the religious leaders and the religious leaders had as they were listening to this story no doubt they wrote off the younger son uh he comes back no way do you take him back i mean he is through he is done he has shamed uh the family he has shamed the father uh there is no forgiveness for him and chris do you see that in the counseling room that a lot of people have that in their head i can't come back I've just sinned too greatly, and there's no way God could forgive me. There's no way God could love me anymore. Oh, yeah, and I feel like that's one of the worst emotions. It'd be the emotion of shame. You know, it's the first emotion that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden when they had sinned, when they had disobeyed God, is shame. And it leaves you stuck, and it leaves you in a terrible place. And that, uh, maybe someone who has experienced shame has experienced um, some legalistic teaching you know, some teaching that there could never be a comeback because you've broken too many laws, you've disobeyed God too many times. But God is a God of grace and love. And the fact that he, in this parable, uh, the father ran 
towards him. He ran in his direction and embraced him and kissed him, it says. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the fact that he went after the sun, not just waiting for the sun to come all the way back, but that he went where the sun was, that's the kind of God uh, that we serve, the kind of God that we love. Well, oftentimes when I uh, give the invitation after a sermon, I think about that song, There's Room at the Cross for You, and it says, if you'll take one step toward the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. And God is looking for that one step. You don't have to come all the way back. The prodigal didn't come all the way back. Right. He, he was going in that direction, but when the father saw, hey, there's a change of heart, he's coming back to me, I'm going to meet him. And uh, I like what John MacArthur says. He's got uh, a great book on the, about the prodigal, and uh, he said, hey, for the father to run, uh, fathers didn't run, you know, that was for kids. Uh, fathers didn't run, and, and in order to run, you wear long flowing robes. In order to run, you would have to gird up your loins, mm-hmm. You'd have to show your legs, which wasn't done. Men didn't do that, especially somebody of that stature. So that would have been a shameful thing. And so the father was willing to embrace whatever it took to meet his son at that point of his brokenness. And that's the kind of God that we have. With his arms wide open. Right. Um, Chris, why do you think so many people have difficulty seeing God like that? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it is some of that um, maybe legalistic teaching that they've received, you know, teaching that has been all about um, what we do instead of what God has done. You know, maybe they've just received so much of that kind of teaching or, you know, from parents or from pastors or teachers. Right. And so maybe that kind of teaching has gotten ingrained in them. How do you think, let's, you know, I think about girls at the Women's Center. You know, God has given us the favor to where we can minister to a lot of those girls. Um, so many of them terrible home lives, uh, abused by their fathers so often. They have a hard time seeing God as father. Um, and that relationship for a daughter and a father is so crucial. And we don't all start at the same place. You know, we don't all have uh, the same kind of parents. Some some have really godly good example parents and others don't. I mean, you hear some of these testimonies of the people that have gone into really bad addiction and really bad life choices. Not that it's an excuse, but uh, some of the upbringings that they've had is so tragic. Yeah, it's just terrible. I, my heart just breaks when I talk to those ladies because uh, the director there told me, she said, you know, probably 90% of the girls in here have been sexually abused. And there's a reason why they are addicted to drugs and alcohol. You know, they're trying to deal with the pain in their life and trying to deaden that pain. But to see God, I, I tell, I preached this not too long ago to the girls, and I told them, I said, you have to hang that picture in your mind about God. That's who God is. He's not the stern judge that's ready to whack you because you did something wrong. He's the God who's ready to respond to you, to run to you, if you'll come back to him in honesty, in true brokenness and repentance and faith and humility, then he responds to that. That's the key, is coming to him in humility and coming to him in honesty, um, bringing our current situation and the things that we've done in the past, bringing that all into the light, bringing all that into the open. You know, that's where true healing begins. It talks about that in James five sixteen that that um, healing comes by confession. You know, bringing it out into the light. Satan operates in the dark. God operates in the light. Right. First uh, John chapter one. Uh, John says, uh, "This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness." We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. A-L-L, all sin. Whatever your sin is, it's covered under all sin. So there is no classification of sin. Well, I had an abortion. I had committed adultery. I was uh, abusive. Those can all be forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and that's good news. 
Well, we're talking today about great comebacks. The greatest comeback is when the prodigal left the pigsty and came back to the father. And that parable is played out in lives every single day that we can come back to God no matter how bad we've blown it. We can come back and receive forgiveness. You're listening to Real Truth for today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, and we're talking to Dr. Chris Schroeder. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. A battle is raging in America for the plight of the unborn. Now is the time to pray and to get involved. Do not miss the new award-winning movie, The Matter of Life. The Matter of Life has been hailed as the best film ever produced concerning the unborn and can be seen for two nights only in a theater near you. Visit FathomEvents.com now to reserve your tickets for May 16th or May 17th. That's FathomEvents.com, F-A-T-H-O-M, Events.com. It's a matter of life. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. Noise bombards us every day from 24-hour cable news to traffic to our mobile devices. We are inundated with a wall of noise that seemed to keep so many of us in a state of agitation. For caregivers, taking a moment to sit quietly and settle our hearts down seems nearly impossible. But it's critical for us to do just that. You see, if we don't take time for stillness, we're going to have to make time for illness. That constant state of anxiety, stress, and sensory overload we experience as caregivers will eventually make us sick. Stress kills. The way we push back on this is to carve out some time where we can just be still and quiet. Prayer, meditation, or just clearing our frenetic thoughts, it all helps reboot our minds and hearts and allows us to be a little calmer in the caregiver storm we navigate. This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope, a ministry for the wounded and those who care for them. There's more information at standingwithhope.com. My wife's aunt passed away, and we received a, a considerable inheritance from that. We heard on American Family Radio about the opportunity to participate in a charitable gift annuity. We talked to the people at AFA Foundation, uh, Riley, Chelsea, and, and their crew that they work with, and they were very uh, caring, uh, very easy to work with, and with no pressure whatsoever. And they guided us through the process and made it a very easy thing to do. See if a charitable gift annuity is right for you. Call the AFA Foundation at 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. What excites us about the charitable gift annuity is we will always have income coming in. It will be steady. Uh, We won't outlive it. The AFA Foundation, the financial stewardship division of the American Family Association. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. I'm talking to Dr. Chris Schroeder. We're talking about comebacks. We're talking about the story of the prodigal son, such a great parable in the Bible, such an encouraging word from the Lord Jesus that tells us, listen, no matter how far you have strayed from the Lord, if you will come to your senses and leave the pigsty of sin, you can be restored in your relationship with the Lord. You can be saved, you can be forgiven, you can be restored. And uh, Chris, so how many, uh, not number, but how many experiences have you had where you've seen people leave the pigsty and be connected, restored back to the Lord? Oh man, I would say I would say hundreds, and I would say that that is that's the motivation for ministry. That's why we do what we do. There's nothing more exciting than life change. In celebrate recovery, we get to hear testimonies every other week. We hear a testimony mm-hmm. of a life change, of a comeback. You know where someone was and where they are now. 
I don't like in a testimony when they kind of wrap it up with a nice bow at the end because the story continues. Right. You know, and so God continues to work, and there is such thing as relapse and stuff like that. There is. Yeah. But uh, but it's so cool to see people have life change and make make comebacks. Yeah, and you know, I think that's the thing too. It's kind of like a, a fairy tale, and they lived happily ever right. after. <laughs> we like those, but that's not real life because so. So the prodigal is restored back to the father. Well, he still has to deal with the struggles that he had before. He, um, I mean, he sees things from a different perspective, no doubt. So our friend Matt that we talked about in the first segment, things are totally different. But he still is married. He still has struggles in his marriage because it doesn't just magically you you have this this now this marriage where there's never an argument or never a difficulty you still life is still hard well also if you've uh, been in addiction for a while like if you've used alcohol you've been functioning with alcohol so-called functioning with alcohol for a long period of time he in Matt's case he has two young children and so now he has to learn how to be father a father as a sober man you right. know and so uh his attention is there on his kids. They've got a totally new dad, but they've got to start a whole new relationship. It's good, it's healthy, but there is definitely transition, there's definitely change. And being a husband now as a sober man, um, totally different in the way they deal with conflict and have to learn how to deal with conflict. There's a lot of adjustment. Yeah, I could see that. It's almost like the husband that has a, a tra- is a traveling salesman or something like that, and he's gone Monday through Friday, and then he retires, and then he's home all the time. Well, that's a new experience for his wife. It's like they've learned how to function in their dysfunction, and now, <laughs> now what? Now how do we do life together? Well, the prodigal comes home in the story, and uh, it is such a celebration. The father is is overjoyed that his son has come and he's going to throw a huge party probably the biggest party that village had ever seen before kill the fattened calf Uh, my son was dead and uh, he's come to life again and they began to celebrate and then it says this now his older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house he heard music and dancing and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be and he said to him well, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the brother became angry and he was not willing to go in and his father came out and pleaded with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, that's disrespectful. It's not father. It's just look. Mm -hmm. For so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. Well, you... How about the one that says, come in? Uh, You neglected that one. But he said, I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have given me a, you haven't even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't say he's his brother, this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Chris, let's talk a little bit about the uh, known in scripture, the elder brother. What's going on with him? You know, just thinking about this and read this story several times, but hearing it this time, just reminds me that there will always be uh, critical people that will be able to um, point fingers and point out the sin that they see in your life or in other people's lives, Um, not looking at the sin in their own life, but it's so easy to see the sin in everyone else's life. Right. There's a little poem I like that says, sin sin in others I can see, but praise the Lord, there's none in me. Interesting, we didn't share this, but at the beginning of these parables, Jesus uh, told a, a trilogy, a trinity, so to speak, of parables. So you had the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. And actually, it was two lost sons. One was 
uh, very obviously lost, the younger son, and one was not as obviously lost, but he was in the far country. He wasn't in, in sync with his father at all. That's the Pharisee. Jesus told that story not primarily for the benefit of the outcast, but for the benefit of the, the uh, self-righteous sinner. It says this, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him, but the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And that's what triggered the trilogy of parables ending with the story of the prodigal son. And uh, it's kind of interesting, too, Chris, when you think about this, this story doesn't have a conclusion to it. Mm. Mm. The elder brother is outside arguing with the father, not willing to come in, and the father is pleading with him to come in. He won't come in, and all he says is, uh, you know, you've never given me anything for my friends, and and this son of yours, this – this one that stinks like the pigs that's wasted all your money on prostitutes you're hanging out with this you're you're showing favor to this son how sickening is that and uh, you kill the fattened calf for him you throw a party for him and, and the father is pleading with the son to understand we have to rejoice because he was lost and now has been found uh, I think that one of the ways you can tell uh, a true believer is how do they respond to one of the Celebrate Recovery stories? Do they have joy in their heart that this person that, that was at the pigsty came to his senses and came to the Lord? Uh, I think that's one of the the marks of a true believer is your your heart just does backflips when you hear those stories because it just it just grips you and say praise the lord for amazing grace you're able to celebrate when someone who was lost has been found you know you're able to celebrate for how how great of a comeback has been achieved right now chris as you think through the testimonies that celebrate recovery which are the ones that really stand out in your mind like wow that guy has a story that lady has a story well, honestly, it's the ones with the greatest comeback. It's the ones that have been so far in the pigsty and have um, maybe uh, su- such an extreme case of using alcohol or drugs or you know prostitution, whatever it is, the worst things, and they've come back and they're telling their story, and you're just your mouth just drops. You're just amazed at what God has done and the comeback that He's done in that person's life. So. When you think about reaching that person versus reaching a self-righteous, pharisaical type of person, which one is harder to reach? Ooh, that's great. I would, I would say definitely the Pharisee, you know, the one that thinks that they have it all together. I mean, they don't think they need to make any change. They don't think that there's anything that they're not in reality of, that they're, that they're in, you know, they are in denial. Right. But, but getting them to that point, that's, that's tough. And so what I've always noticed about people like that and people in church, because Pharisees don't hang out at the nightclubs. They hang out in church. Um, but they they have a self-righteousness and they have respectable sins. They know that uh, drunkenness and drug addiction and prostitution, those are all unacceptable sins. But God doesn't have acceptable sins and unacceptable sins. Self-righteousness is a huge sin to the Lord. Um, Chris, in your dealings and in your ministry, uh, can you tell the difference uh, very quickly when you're dealing with somebody who is self-righteous versus somebody who is uh, whatever that word is, a a prodigal going the other direction? it's very easy to to sense. Okay, who am I dealing with here? Yeah, I'd say that's I'd say that's pretty easy to pick up on, and that's something that's crucial to pick up on. Does this person really understand that they need help? Um, I was thinking of marriage counseling. You know, in marriage counseling, it's like you can easily point fingers at your spouse. This is why we have troubles because of what she's doing or what he's doing. But I'll ask them. So what is the struggle that you carry into this marriage? What is the sin that you're struggling with that's contributing to the, the marriage being at this place? And honestly, there's times where they, they can't even say anything. They can't say one thing. They can name their spouse's wow. sins, but can't name their own sins. Well, 
it's going to be really hard to do work in that situation. But sometimes you see the switch and you see them start to talk about their own, where they are falling short and their own sins. Something I just was thinking about when you were talking. So this one guy told me, he said, I've never heard my mom say, I'm sorry. Hmm. It was my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And I never say I'm sorry. That is a big red flag, isn't it, when you're dealing with marriage issues, if the other person won't ever own anything, won't ever say they're sorry, always act like it's always the other person's fault? These are the toxins that come into a relationship. It's uh, self-pity, blame, not taking responsibility. So when the person is able to take responsibility for their own sin, that's when you know you've got a chance you know, for healing to take place. But when there's just blame and self-pity, um, there's not much you can do with that. Right. Well, in First John again, I think First John chapter 1 is such a critical chapter because it talks about how to have fellowship with God. So you, you have to walk in the light. You have to bring your sins to the light. You can't say you have fellowship if you're walking in the darkness because then you're lying. But then it goes on to say, uh, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... So that's admitting, agreeing with God, I do have sin. If we confess our sins, we are, uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Mm-hmm. Now the Pharisees of Jesus' day, well, they, they didn't try and present themselves as we've never sinned before, but they wouldn't call themselves sinners. Um, What's the difference in that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, we have to remember that we all have we all have sin in our life, and uh, the Pharisees were uh, putting it on a scale, putting sins on a different scale and a level. Uh, we see that in church. We see that in ministry. We see sometimes I hear the slogan or the the phrase, "Those people, you know, those people over there, they mm-hmm. need that kind of ministry." Right. Uh, but really, who are those people? We're all those people. We right. all have sin in our life in need of forgiveness. Right. And I think if you really look at your life, if you if you have a testimony to share, everybody's pigsty looks a little different. But pigsty is I'm walking in sin. And so I look at my life and think, you know, the my life wasn't falling apart when I came to Christ. But I was a sinner and I was lost. I was on the highway to hell. When my eyes were open, when I came to my senses, I realized I desperately need Jesus. And if I keep going in this direction, I'm gonna die and go to hell forever and ever and ever. And I got up and I just cried out to the Lord, save me, I want to be saved. And and really, if you boil down a testimony, everybody who's been born again has that same testimony. There has to come a point in time where you say, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need Jesus. Lord Jesus, save me. One of our sober recovery leaders, uh, the thing that she confesses every week when she um, tells us who she is, is she says, I am someone who's been saved from a religious, judgmental spirit. And uh, I didn't know her back then, but some people say, yes, he definitely changed <laughs> her from that. But I think that's so cool that she admits that. And she, you would never guess that she had a judgmental, religious spirit. Right. And I think that's a danger for people that grow up in church, your kids, my kids, uh, because we don't want to look, you know, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do, so I'm better than you are, um, you know, because you've sinned these terrible sins. But, uh, you know, shockingly, the people that responded to Jesus were the ones that knew, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. And the Lord changed her life. What a testimony that she uh, she was. Well, we've been talking today about great comebacks. And the greatest comeback is when you realize you're at the pigsty of sin and you come back uh, to and find the Lord's arms open wide when you come back with humility and repentance and faith. We've been talking to Dr. Chris Schroeder, and we've been talking about this subject so important. Let me encourage you, if you have somebody in your life that is at the pigsty, pray for them, that God would open their eyes to show them how desperately they need Him. The Lord is a Savior, and He will save anybody who comes to Him in repentance and faith. Thanks so much for listening today. 
you are, I'm looking forward to being with you again tomorrow. God bless you. Shine and share. <laughs>